the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Whether you're a veteran voice actor, just starting out, or don't even know how to set a level, we're here to help you avoid the pitfalls along your voiceover path to success. The VO Meter is brought to you by Voice Actor Websites, Vocal Booth To Go, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and Sennheiser. Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by source-elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 48 of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. We've got a great episode today. We have an audiobook narrator and coach, Shannon Parks. A.K.A. Marguerite Gavin. We're really excited to have her on to talk about not only her narration, but how she coaches people in narration and improves their, their skill level. And why you might be interested in a pseudonym if, that's, uh, if this is a line of work that you're pursuing. Yeah, uh, I use one as we talked about, and so does Shannon. And uh, you'll hear exactly why and the, the pros and cons of, of using one or not using one. But before we do that, it's time to talk about what's going on in our VO worlds with our... VoiceOver Extra brings you the VO Meter Reference Levels. Uh, seriously, guys, that's the best you could come up with? Hey, it's your show. Cool. So, Sean, what's happening with you? Well, I actually thought we could talk about what's new for the podcast before we talk about our own VO Ooh, world. Oh, very good. Yeah. So you guys might have noticed we had a new intro for the podcast, and it's voiced by the lovely Heather Masters. She's been an old contact of ours from, uh, you might recognize her from our old VO meetup roundtable that we did a long time ago. I'll have to cross-reference what episode that was in a minute. We couldn't be happier with how it turned out, and we're so excited. And if you stick around for the end of the episode, you can hear the new outro, too. Yeah, and... um. Heather also was in the live episode we did at VO Atlanta a couple of years ago. That's so right. Go oh, to YouTube. God, and, my voice sounded terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can watch uh, Sean, David, Heather, and I ham it up after a, a long night, the first night of VO Atlanta. <laughs> we all sounded mm -hmm. like it. Just like a, a quad or quad of frogs or something like that. <laughs> but thanks to Heather, I think Sean and I were texting back and forth after we got the first read and... Sean said, oh, my God, she sounds awesome. And I said, yeah, we totally don't deserve her. We or... don't deserve her. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> but thanks, Heather. Fantastic job. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, so we're really excited about some of the changes uh, to the podcast format, and we hope you guys enjoy it as well. So that's pretty much it for what's new with the podcast. But what about you, Paul? What's going on in your VO world? It's kind of slow, unfortunately. I don't know what it is. Some people say January slow. For me, it's been February. I had a pretty good January. Um, I'm finishing up one really long audiobook, and maybe that's why. I'm not doing all the marketing I should be because I'm just in, engrossed in finishing up this 14-hour audiobook. I finally Yikes. got to about halfway through. And, yeah, it's it's been rough. Not the book itself. It's just that because it's so long, I haven't done one that long in a little while. Most of the ones I've done have been between 6 and 10 hours. So... Mm -hmm. This is a marathon, and it's not something I'm used to, quite frankly, so it's taking a lot of my time. But I'll get through it. Um, other things that are going on... Oh, one thing that was kind of cool, I'm in the middle of casting a project for a production company that my cousin owns. It's a musical company, or they produce music, mostly, um, for artists, and also they do some commercials. And, and he came to me and said, uh, I got approached to do a voiceover, and I've never really done one before, so thought I'd come to the expert. 
So I took it and ran with it and reached out to a bunch of friends. Can't really talk about what it is, but suffice it to say that uh, I was able to find people that can fit the role. It's four different, sorry, five different voices that I needed. And I just reached out to people that I knew could do the voices of these characters. And so far, so good. They're, they sent it to the client and seems like they like it so far. So it just goes to show if you hang around long enough, you can start helping out by casting if you don't if you can't do the job yourself or you need an additional voice. I do this all the time for audiobooks and now I've gotten I've been able to do it for a commercial as well. Well that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately too, in that the more actors and interviews and stuff like that that I watch, you soon begin to realize that the whole reason that they're able to maintain a professional creative career is because they're not, they don't have so big of an ego that they are only looking for acting jobs, right? They're looking for production work, for, for directing work, for writing work, whatever their skill set, right? Sometimes you just have to accept that there's not a part for you all the time, but there might be a role that you can play and still get paid for. Yeah, I relish those opportunities. We talked about how I've taken on a bunch of jobs recently, full production for commercials and I like doing that, and I'm producing a podcast for Twin Flame Studios that I work for. So I enjoy all that ancillary activities that are still related to the job. Because, like we talked about when we first started the podcast, even if even the podcast itself is good practice for the skills we use every day as voice actors, and it just helps keep mm. you sharp. Absolutely. Very cool. So other than that, there's a couple things my, my son did. My, my middle son this has booked his first job on voiceovers.com. Yeah, and nice. that's out there, or it's about to be out there now. He got paid, so I'm assuming they liked interviewing him. <laughs> Haven't heard back from the client since then, but sometimes no news is good news, especially when there's a check involved. And then he did another job this week. It's a documentary film. So he's dubbing the voice of a little boy who lives in the Dominican Republic, doing the English version of that. So okay. he's got two jobs. Did, interesting. Did they ask for any like accent work on that one? No, they just wanted straight English. It's It's basically... For English-speaking children, kids in America, that they can learn about cultures around the world. And this kid just happens to be a Dominican-born uh, baseball player, a uh, young kid who likes to play you know, youth baseball, and that's what my son loves more than anything. So it was a perfect fit for him because he gets to play this kid who loves baseball as much as he does. Very cool. This can't help but thinking of the Futurama episode where everyone's like, Professor, didn't you want to sell this business? I always thought of it as a source of cheap labor, like a family. <laughs> hey, we're giving him all his money, or at least as far as he knows. As far as <laughs> no, just kidding. How do you think we afforded that PS4, son? <laughs> yeah, all the money ma- minus uh, the money he owes me for his latest shattered phone screen. <laughs> uh well, but yeah, consequences and responsibility, they can't learn it soon enough. It is kind of cool to have the, you know, the family business going, though. I think we talked about how my other son got me a job in Germany a couple of months ago because he was cast as a, as a little boy and they needed a dad. And I don't think the company even knew I was a voice actor at that point. And oh, basically crazy. because he got the job, I got the job. That's awesome. Reverse nepotism. <laughs> there you go. So that's about all that's going on with me. Uh, what's happening with you, Sean? Crunch time is the name of the game. (laughs) Um, So I've just been working all weekend. I mean, we recently had uh, a new membership launch for for GVAA. We kind of restructured the membership. And we've 
gotten a really positive response. We got about we got about 20 new members, and I've just been busy making sure that they get to work with whatever, whatever coach they want. If, they, if they're a little scared to join a workout, I'm like, all right, meet with me for a little bit. We'll talk about what you can do with this. I'll even do a little mock workout with you for a little bit and see what it's like. And the feedback has been, has been incredible. And yesterday, I was working pretty much all day. I hosted my own peer-led workout with like eight participants, and so we went for like an hour and a half, and I was just, it was weird because it was kind of like I feel like I've been working with GVAA for four years and so I've kind of absorbed through osmosis all of the teachings of like Steven Reisberg and Brian Summer and Sarah Jane Sherman and then and I'm just helping these people with like all these different genres and I'm like what the hell am I talking about how did I know how to direct <laughs> <laughs> um, that reminds but, me of my experiences at the school where the things that were coming out of my mouth I didn't know were even in there until I started trying to teach somebody else <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that's why I love, and that's another reason why it's important to kind of try out different aspects of it. Like, I think every actor should try directing at some point because that's who we work with. Like, you need to, you have to understand things from their side, and you need to be able to articulate to another actor what performances you want. Because, as I'm constantly saying, the easiest way to learn how to self-direct is to direct someone else because you need to be able to learn how to analyze performances, how to look at them objectively, and to be able to kind of uh, encourage those special snowflakes that we are to get where you want without making them break down and shut down and all that stuff. So it's been a really invaluable experience, I think. So yeah, we had those, and then meanwhile, I was trying to, I was doing a whole bunch of editing to try and get my last e-learning module with English Anyone done. That's due this weekend. So um, it also happens to be when I'm picking up my brother from the airport from Boston. So I'm I'm trying to get all these other things, including an audiobook that I'm finishing up uh, this week. So like I said, Crunch Time is the name of the game. And I did want to give you a shout out too, because you found an interesting opportunity for me in my neck of the woods on Craigslist of all places. There's actually this independent art school called Rekindle School. They actually work through University of Washington on their campus. Uh, They've been working with them for the last 20 years, just kind of trying to provide affordable creative arts training to to people who might not have the means to get it otherwise so they have they have stage acting classes on camera videographer drawing cartooning all these other things i was like man this sounds like a wonderful opportunity to get paid to pay it forward so i actually arranged an interview with them last week and then it went over pretty well but then over the weekend i actually sent them some footage from some of our Uh, voiceover workouts through GVAA, just be like, hey, this is exactly what I would be doing for you guys, but in person. So there you go. Your move. Any response Um, yet? um, Not yet. So I'm still still hopeful, though, that I told them I wouldn't be available to start until April, so maybe they're waiting till closer to then. Mm Mm-hmm. They did seem a little disappointed that I didn't have as much like animation video game experience within the local market as their previous instructor. But I mean, he had been doing it for decades. And honestly, a number of Seattle talent that I've talked to have just been like, yeah, man, a lot of that work has actually moved to L.A. or even to online casting. So so I'm trying to convince them that like as wonderful as that experience is, not only can I kind of give people the skills to pursue voiceover as the industry is today, but... Anything that I don't feel comfortable teaching, I have all of these wonderful industry experts that I can, like, 
that I'd be happy to have as guest speakers help me with those particular lessons if that's something that they would be interested in. Even so, local ones. Uh, We've had Debbie Harada and Pat Fraley on the show. Oh, that's right. I mean, absolutely. I'm just like, listen to our podcast for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, it would be a wonderful opportunity. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. It'd be a great way to spend my weekends. Oh, it's like, a weekend it, only job? Great... Um, yeah, because they, they just had the, um, that was when they had the highest uh, demand for it was just, I mean, that's when people were free. And honestly, if it frees up the rest of my week to pursue my own work, it sounds perfect to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I mentioned on the show how I tried to sign up for an acting class at the community college and it kept getting canceled. Those were all during the week. So maybe I should try the weekends. Absolutely. No, I mean, and that's, and that's another thing. If I ever got in with this school, I was like, hey, do uh, instructors get discounts on your other classes? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It just seemed like I, like I was really, uh, I really enjoyed their mission statement and their philosophy, and just the the person who coordinates it just seems like someone who's been invested in the like in just media and arts for decades, and really just wants to give access to people who might be pursuing it as just like a creative hobby, or who might actually be trying to get into that profession. So I'm all about that. That's very cool. So we don't often share places to get leads, but I'll share this one because in this case it worked, and I'll credit. Uh, voice actor Diana Conley for turning me on to this. If you go to Craigslist, go to the gig section, and just type in the word voice, that's where I found this job, and I find several others there every week. It's not a huge gold mine, but the job I just mentioned about uh, for my son, the, the little boy in the Dominican, that was a documentary I found on Craigslist, and not locally. The one I found for Sean was in the Seattle area. The one for my son was <laughs> in L.A. In Bal- like right. near Maryland. Yeah, so I'm in Baltimore. In- and the one I found for my son was in L.A., and I find jobs all over Craigslist, all over the country. I'll, I use a search engine called Search Tempest, and it allows you to search all of Craigslist at once. Cool. So check that out if you haven't already been scouring Craigslist for jobs. I will warn you, there's a heck of a lot of scams, just like all the other freelance sites. So yep. <laughs> for every five you send out, at least two will be a phishing scam. Just be, be aware of that. But you will find some, some gold in all, the, in all those hills. And that was the funny thing is like I I was really excited and I told my brother about it who's actually a uh, an ESL professor in Boston and like and he's just like warning warning red flags I was like all right I completely framed this wrong instead of saying hey I'm going to be working for an arts college in Seattle I should have said hey I'm going to be teaching a series of workshops for an independent arts school <laughs> like, and then that kind of made him understand it and then it was just funny because. I kind of got to let, like, to share my knowledge of pursuing, like, being a creative freelancer. He's like, what do you mean you don't get paid until, like, what do you mean you have to invoice him? And I was like, dude, I write invoices all the time. People don't pay for one month to three months. It's perfectly acceptable. So it's just really funny to kind of, like, toot my own horn and be like, look, I am aware of the potential for scams, but this guy seems pretty okay. (laughs) Oh, was the interview in person? Yeah, it was. Oh, so then you're fine. You've actually been in the facility. Yeah, I mean, it was on UW's campus. I'm oh, not going to okay. get shanked in the middle of UW's campus. <laughs> well, not for that reason, at least. No, not in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anything else you have going on in, in, in the business world you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that's enough. I'm like, honestly, I'm just trying to keep my head above water and uh, until Saturday, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a break for the, the next two weeks. Gotcha. Well, that pretty much wraps up the VO meter reference levels. We'll get to our fantastic interview with Shannon Parks in just a moment, right after our 
Questionable Gear Purchase. Before we jump into our questionable gear purchases, a word from one of our sponsors. Vocalbooth to gos patented acoustic blankets are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. Often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. We make your environment quieter for less. So, Sean, have you done anything stupid this week? Well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nothing particularly expensive. I love traveling with my uh, with my studio headphones, my Biodynamic DT770s, and unfortunately, they're pretty big. And honestly, I I don't like them just kind of banging around in my backpack. So I did find a nice case for them. It was like twenty twenty five, or it was like thirty bucks. Called the Slappa Hard Case, <laughs> and. <laughs> I know it's but it's got a picture of a hand. It's called Slappa, um, nice. But it's actually it's really nice. And honestly, you it could easily fit like a smaller interface in between the headphones. So something like the mixer face or the Micport Pro, Shure X2U, or maybe even like some of the newer units like the Rode AI1, things like that. And then I just have uh, like my my little backpack just has a lot of like hooks and rings on it. So I just got a little carabiner. To hook to that, and so it works really well. I liked it a lot, but it was a little bit bigger than I was expecting. So mm. um, I was actually hoping it would be a little bit more compact. But other than that, nothing to really complain about. But I think it's funny because we—it sounds like we both actually picked up refurb uh, wireless keyboards, like the Magic Keyboard from Apple. And I've already gotten one in the past, and I think refurb is the way to go because a hundred dollars for a keyboard is pretty pricey. So both of the ones that I've gotten refurbished were about half that. Unfortunately, the second one has a bum shift key and a bum Y key. And you don't realize how important those two keys are until they don't work. Yeah, those are kind of important. Yes. I mean, I got it like, how are oo doing? And, um, and a lot of exclamation points that turn into ones. Well, that's a shame, but hopefully you can maybe, do you, can you return it? Did you get it from a company that will allow you to return it? Of course, it was after the warranty, and the whole reason I got it is because I wanted a duplicate setup at my editing desk, as well as, or like when I do punch and roll for long form narration in the booth. So before I was just kind of, I had a little lap desk that I could actually carry to and from the booth, but I wanted to not have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it worked for like, like I said, I didn't use it that often, so I didn't realize what an issue it was until after the warranty had expired. So I might, I might take it to my local Apple tech and see if he can actually, like, if he can fix it or something like that. Oh, it's a shame. Well, I've had no such trouble. I actually bought mine just straight used. It wasn't refurbed off of eBay. It's a Magic Keyboard 2, the one that charges with a lightning cable. Yeah. And so far, so good. It's, it's pretty robust, actually. Last week... Only a couple days after I got it, I spilled almost an entire cup of water on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a disaster. I, I got the headphone cable caught on the water, knocked over the water, and it was I didn't have any towels handy, so it was like slowly creeping the whole wall yeah, of water terrible. towards the Mac Mini. So I grabbed the Mac Mini and basically shimmied the, or, um, squeegeed the water off with my hand, but it got all <laughs> over the keyboard. So I ran it under a blow dryer for a couple of minutes, and it seems to be fine. It's been a week now, no issues. Oh, good. I mean, you could have put it in a bag of rice, but that works too, I, I do. guess. I haven't had a chance to charge it yet. It's, it's still on its original charge, so I could, I guess, electrocute myself potentially when I pr- charge it for the first time. Maybe maybe make sure it's in a surge protector before yeah. you do that. Or I'll use it to, I'll plug it into a USB hub instead of pu- plugging it right into the wall. It should be okay. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but I also got a 
Magic Trackpad. I don't know if you ever used one of those, but that thing oh, is awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Awesome. I love those. Never had one of those before, and it's really cool for editing in Twisted Wave because mm -hmm. all those functions, the, the drag, the expand, the contract, they're all right there, and you don't have to move your hand at all, really. So I was getting some, some issues with a regular mouse because my you know, I was using one of those small wireless ones, and my hand basically became like a rat hand, rat paw, because oh, it was constantly yeah, in that, hand. yeah, it was constantly in that position to where like if I, even now, if I let my hand go holding it up in the air, my fingers will just naturally go into that claw position, which is kind of scary. So mm. the, the trackpad is the exact opposite. My hand's basically flat on this, on the surface of the, the trackpad the entire time. I'm hoping that'll alleviate some of the issues I was having with my fingers. So honestly, the best solution I found is to kind of alternate between that and maybe a more ergonomic mouse, because you can still get an RSI or repetitive stress injury from that. How do I I'm know? Because sure. I've done it. Um, yeah, because I mean, like you said, when you're using sort of the claw, you're working more of like the wrist flexors. And then if you're using the um, the trackpad, you're working the extensors. So mm -hmm. obviously, if you're spending six to eight hours at the computer doing audio editing, something's bound to happen. But yeah, so just be careful. As you can tell, I'm a bit of an ergonomic health nut, yeah. mainly because I've constantly injured myself over the years. But yeah, so just be whatever you use, be careful and get away from the damn computer every now and then. Yeah, that's probably the best advice. <laughs> so one other thing I should mention, and I didn't buy this, which is why I'm a little hesitant to, but what the heck. I, was, I acquired a blue Yeti X, the new version of the Yeti, the original mm -hmm. uh, USB mic. I have a friend who lives down the street who works for Logitech, and they just bought Blue. If you guys didn't know that, they bought the whole company. So he got a whole bunch of mics in, and he said, I didn't know what to do with these things because, you know, I'm a mouse and, and a tra trackpad guy. But he said, I know you will know what to do with it. So he gave me one to, to try out, and I liked it a lot. I did a video that some of the listeners may have seen on YouTube comparing it to my 415, the Sennheiser. And it's good. And some people got him wrong. That was nuts. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends who's an audio engineer in L.A. on LinkedIn got it wrong. He thought the the Blue Yeti X was the 415. And I guess that just shows how far the USB technology has come. Mm -hmm. So it sounds really good. It's still plug-and-play with the USB. A little peculiar that it's still huge. It's basically the same size as the original Yeti with that mm -hmm. same giant pedestal stand with the two thumb screws. So... In my opinion, it's still a little unwieldy, and it still uses micro-USB, which I guess is good for people who have a lot of old legacy cables, like mm -hmm. me. I actually have a ton of those. But not USB-C, in case you're looking to double up on your cables and maybe use the same one you use for your phone with a microphone. That won't work, so carry around an old micro-USB. But well, the sound was great. Well, they actually have... Um, I found out about this because I have one for my Apogee Mic Plus, and the mixer face, they actually do make adapters that are USB-C to micro-USB. Oh, yeah, I have quite a few of those, too. Mm -hmm. So that's another option to kind of get more life out of your legacy devices, even if you have, like, say, an Android phone or a newer Mac or laptop or whatever. Yeah, very so. true. But as far as the sound of the Yeti X, really good. I think it's better than the mouse and very similar to the mouse in tone, but doesn't have, um, it's a little more full, probably because the capsule is bigger. And really? It does... You mean like the, the freaking $1,300 sorry, sorry. mouse? Not the mouse. Not the mouse. The, uh, the Raspberry. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I was about to say. No, we the mouse. Talked about that one in a long time. The mouse is a different sound. This is the um, the Raspberry that I that I still have. My son uses to stream video games with. But and that was my favorite blue mic that was you know under a thousand dollars up until now. And now this Blue Yeti X may be it. It's really good. That's awesome. And I do want to talk about USB mics for a second because I I had started an interesting 
discussion about it in the uh, the GVA community group. And then there were some audio engineers who were just like, we're up in a huff about it. I was just like, look, I get it. I'm on your guys' side. But honestly, some, we, like you and I know lots of audiobook narrators, e-learning narrators, and, and just other people who have managed to get by with, say, an AT2020 or an Apogee mic or a Sennheiser or MK4 digital. And the truth is, is that the sound quality is getting better all the time, but that's not the only feature that you can should consider when trying to get a XLR versus a USB mic. Like things that you should consider, like we were saying before, is the form factor. How easy is it to actually use and manipulate in your studio space? Like I, one of my first mics was a Blue Yeti Pro because Juan Carlos Bagnell, who's like an audio engineer and casting director, recommended it for voiceover as one of the only USB mics that he recommends for voiceover at the time. But still, it was huge. It was clunky. I wish I had gotten an AT2020 because it was so unwieldy. So, like I said, sound quality is great, but it shouldn't be the only consideration you make because the usability and the functionality, whether or not it has headphone monitoring. And honestly, once you start doing more advanced functionality, like trying to Skype in a client or trying to work with multiple people across a podcast interview or something (laughs) like that, like you really start to see the weaknesses in those devices. And so for the same price, why not get a decent or a decent XLR mic and a decent USB audio interface and then just be able to upgrade one or both parts as necessary? Yeah, it's a fair point. But I think that the argument about sound quality is, is almost out the window. I even Almost. I even posted this video that I did in one of the Facebook groups and Amanda Rose Smith, who is uh fabulous audio engineer who will be on the show coming up actually even um, acquiesced and said you know what it, it sounds pretty good so I, I know she used to be a staunch supporter of never use a USB mic never use never use a <laughs> USB mic so even she's coming around a bit it seems so I'll ask her on the podcast and we'll see what she says yeah it's great I mean it, and it's an interesting thing too because there are certain companies that are going whole hog with this like I'm thinking of like antelope right now they've got mm-hmm. like the antelope edge go which is like four hundred dollars and then the edge itself which is like this whole system and that he just fits in this like gun case or something like that and it's got like a modeling amp and something like that think something like the apollo twin but in a microphone and it's over a thousand dollars like who would who is it for probably not most people who would be buying a usb mic because you're looking at most of those people are looking for cheap or portable, right? So, again, like, sound quality should not be the only consideration. That is the wave of the future, though. You're right. Lewitt is doing a product like that, too. I, I haven't been able to figure out if it's a USB or XLR connection, but they're doing a modeling mic now, too, and I actually put in to be a beta tester. We'll see if they send me one. I hope so. Please. I've been asking them for their DGT450 for, like, years, <laughs> ever since I did their... Uh, they're 440 pure. They're like, hey, thanks for doing a free review. I was like, oh, can I get a mic for another one? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday. So if you're listening, Lewitt, send us stuff, please. We love you. So it's now time for the interview portion of the show with audiobook narrator and coach Shannon Parks. As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? 
go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the interview portion of this episode of the VO Meter. We are very excited to introduce our latest guest, Marguerite Gavin, a.k.a. Shannon Parks, has been a professional audiobook narrator for over 20 years. With over 500 titles, numerous Audi nominations and earphones awards, and a devoted fan following. She's been described as a genre-defining narrator by Audible.com, having a sonorous voice, rich and full of emotion, and as having the coveted ability to disappear as the narrator, letting the story take the limelight it deserves in Audiophile magazine. Her narration spans nearly every genre from mystery, science fiction, fantasy, romance, and children's fiction, to a huge variety of nonfiction and documentary work. She is also a seasoned theater veteran, acting and directing in hundreds of productions. As a highly respected acting teacher, she was on the graduate acting faculty at Catholic University of America, directed children of all ages in Shakespeare for many years, and now coaches narrators in the art of acting the audiobook. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming our guest, Marguerite Gavin, a.k.a. Shannon Parks. So, Shannon, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the audiobook business. I've told this story a number of times, and uh, but it is the, it's the truth of what happened. I was working as an actress in the D.C. Baltimore market in the theater, and D.C. was the home of many of sort of our, our what we I think of as our elder narrators coming out of the Library of Congress. And um, so I knew a lot of narrators that were, uh, I knew a lot of theater people that were doing audiobooks and had the privilege of working with them, the uh, theater community in D.C. At that time, and, and, and now it's grown so much, but at that time it, it just was really quite vibrant. And a lot of people were... That audiobooks were their bread and butter. It's tough to make a living in the theater. And so I was sort of aware of audiobooks and surrounded by people that were working on them. And then I did a show with Grover Gardner, and he really encouraged me to make a demo. And I was very resistant because I'm a people person, and I thought, this is just not a great fit for me to be in a little padded room, not just with myself. And I thought, this, is, this won't be a good fit. I was actually very resistant. I was already doing some voiceover work and some commercial modeling and commercials and that sort of thing. So I was, I was familiar with uh, the voiceover industry, but hadn't really done any work on investigating audiobooks. So I was one of those lucky people, and, and in retrospect, and incredibly lucky. Uh, I had a family at the time. I still have a family, of course, um, but I had little kids, and Grover was just really very encouraging, and then he was kind enough to shop my sample around. He was an established narrator at that point. Shopped my sample around, and you know, I got my first books because he did that, and um, that was sort of the the beginning of it, and it, it 
for a very long time um, just allowed me to have a family and have a, a, a life without having to sort of also have a regular day job. There was a lot of flexibility with the audiobooks, as anybody that knows them does. You know, anybody that does them knows. So, yeah, that's how I got started. I think my very first book was with books on tape. And then the second book that I did was a, a lovely Catherine Mansfield book called The Garden Party. And that was through Blackstone. And just started to build up some clients and a body of work. So, yeah, uh, Grover was very, very instrumental in all of that. And I, I had the good fortune of working with him in the theater. So he knew my work as an actress and just kept saying, you have a family. This is going to be great for you. So I did kind of go into it kicking and stream, screaming a little bit. And at the same time, um, Sean Pratt, who was my partner many, many years, and the, the father of my kiddo, Olivia, he was investigating getting involved in audiobooks as well. So because we were together, we could build our own studio and uh, share it, which we did for many years. I think we can all thank Grover to an extent. Sean on our show has thanked Grover, and we can thank Grover for being a guest on the show. He actually talked about the, the theater, the Everyman Theater in Baltimore. Is that where you, you worked with him? Um, yeah, I worked with him, and then I worked with him in a, in a couple of other uh, venues on, on things. Um, we were just, our paths kept crossing. In this case, I believe that he was directing something that I was in. I think it was as bees and honey drown or something like that. So he really was able to, we got to know each other's work. And there was sort of a, a Catholic university, a mafia in, in <laughs> D.C. at the time. <laughs> so a lot of us knew each other because we were Catholic alums. Or I was teaching at Catholic at that time. I'd gone through their MFA program and, um, you know, sort of kept my connections there and, and was able to go in and teach the undergraduates and, and graduates in voice and movement and acting. So I think he might have been teaching there. I, it's a long time ago, honestly. It's a million years ago. Um, but yeah, it was partly just uh, the great good fortune of being in that community of, of people that were um, making a living doing audiobooks before you know, when I was a, a, a student actor, it wasn't something that we really much thought about. It wasn't, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of publishing houses. There, It just wasn't something we were kind of going, you know, you didn't go, oh, I'll go do soap operas or I'll do audiobooks or I'll, you know, it wasn't part of the equation in terms of how to make a living as an actor. So I was very lucky in that regard. There must be quite a connection to the Catholic University. Uh, I'm about to go to a fundraiser for my kid's school. Talk about how small the Baltimore-Washington area is. One of the uh -huh. teachers, my, my <laughs> older son's fifth grade teacher, is a graduate of Catholic University. And the first time I went to the back-to-school night, I think I was wearing an Eagles hat or something. And he had a Phillies hat in his, in his office. And I said, are you from Philadelphia? And he, he said yes. And then turns out I, I was from this small town where one of his, his uh, students that he advised as the student advisor lived like three doors down from me. So he was a Catholic <laughs> University graduate as well. So there's a lot of connections in this, this small area. We, that's why we call it small yeah, tomorrow around yeah. here. I, when I was a Catholic um, <laughs> in the MFA program, it was just there, there were such good teachers. Uh, we were really very fortunate to have wonderful acting teachers there. Um, people who had been company members at Arena Stage from its inception, 
just some fat, uh, Jackson Fippen was there from center stage. I, I was just very, very lucky when I was there. I, I don't know much about the program now because I've been so far away from it for so long, but um, it certainly was instrumental in, for me, in, in, in creating the actor, giving me an acting process that I could absolutely rely on. Wonderful. Well, speaking of sort of the connections and influences that impacted your early career, how important do you feel networking for the audiobook business is, both when you started and now? And whether these could be like in-person appearances like conferences or just uh, any other meetings like working with fellow educators like you mentioned before? That's a little bit of a loaded question for me because I really think I don't consider myself a lazy narrator. But I have been lazy about the networking piece. The truth of it is that I haven't had had to do much of it. I created these relationships early on. There weren't a lot of networking events. It wasn't there wasn't social media when I first started. So those connections don't even were, cell phones when you first started. I mean, not to date you no, too much, right? but we're, we're close uh, to the same I, age. I, I, <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, we used to uh, record on VHS tape and send it off in, in, in the mail. You know, so if it got lost in the mail, you were going to have to redo the whole book. <laughs> there wasn't a copy. Oh, my God. Um, but what I have discovered is that uh, the industry has changed so much and that the networking that, well, First of all, the audiobook community I have found in just investing in it in the slightest way and sort of dipping my toes in, into social media and making a little bit deeper connections. And certainly coaching has gotten, has um, opened things up for me in terms of the number of people, what they're doing, the kinds of work that they're doing. So yeah, I think that where networking and marketing may not have been as important in the early, you know, first decade even, now I feel like it's absolutely necessary. And it's not my natural habitat at all. I'm, I'm actually very, I'm not a shy person, but I'm shy about that. There isn't anything that makes me more nervous than going to say a, an opening night reception after I've done a show in the theater. <laughs> that makes me very, very nervous. I'm not a good, salesperson of myself. It makes me uncomfortable, as it does for so many narrators and actors. Mm -hmm. So I have to hold my own feet to the fire on that and really hold myself accountable. And I do think, Sean, that it's changed. I just think that certainly with the amount of independent work that's happening out there, narrators really creating relationships with authors. And I love that. There's a, there's a different kind of autonomy there. Um, then sort of hoping, you know, con being in touch with the, the big guys and making sure that you stay on their radar and hoping for the best, which is really how it is with the, with the major publishers. There's something quite wonderful about saying, I like that writer and I know that their stuff hasn't been recorded and I'm going to go get it. And I'm going to have a relationship with this author and I'm going to be a part of this process from start to finish. I think that's really quite wonderful. I'm so excited when my students talk about doing that and making that, making the work happen for themselves. So yeah, I, I think the networking piece has, has drastically changed and I'm only just understanding the necessity of it. 
and not just the necessity, but the rewards of it, right? Really, the FaceTime. For instance, I've never been to the Audi Awards even when I've been nominated. And I just was too busy working, right? I just did not create the space for it. So now, since I've been coaching, uh, when I go to APAC, I'm, I'm doing two workshops at APAC. I'm so excited to lay eyes on people that I've just been communicating with electronically all these years and on the phone. It used to be we would get on the phone with people, right, Paul? But yeah. not anymore, you know, it's all email. And so I'm super excited to, to, um, to actually lay eyes on those people and certainly to wrap my arms around my students that I've just been Skyping with and so often wish I were in the room with. Yeah, it's great that the the industry is so rewarding. And like you said, that's probably the best part. I just recently did a book where I landed on ACX. It was a, actually a cold offer to me. But it turned out, again, I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but the guy's wife is from Frederick. So we, mm -hmm. um, when he was in town for the holidays, the author and I uh, went out and had coffee with the whole family, he and his little, little daughter and his wife. And we met in person. It was the greatest thing just to have that connection which I didn't really plan to do. I wasn't asking him for any more work or trying to get him to refer me to anybody. It was just a nice way to meet the person who I had spent all this time going back and forth with to make sure I got his work right and have yeah, that conversation. Yeah. I love that. And there seems to be a, um, a, a different dynamic with authors because, of course, you know, if you're doing a, a, generally the books that I do, I don't have much contact with the authors. That's changed, too, with the advent of the Internet. So it used to be that you would go to your author first for pronunciations mm -hmm. and hopefully they knew most of them. And then you'd go, you know, go into your hard copy dictionaries of German or Latin or whatever. And it seems that those and that was sort of your entree to a conversation with the author. And you sort of got to know them that way. It's just changed now. A lot of times I get a list of pronunciations for a book that I'm doing. So I really have no contact at all with the author except to be inside of their book. And um, I think there, there's there, that, that little piece I wish, it. sometimes it really does feel like it's missing. So I love that you got to have coffee and sort of just be in that you you get so intimate with the work right it's mm -hmm. a it's a deep connection hopefully to the book that you're recording so i love the relationships that i have with the few authors that i have them i truly do i'm grateful for them so yeah with the advent of acx and and people independently publishing it just seems that there's a you know, it's just that the industry is, is, is changing drastically, radically. And I'm excited about that. I think that's I think that's quite wonderful. I also think it's wonderful that it's opening up and that people have an avenue to become narrators and get those titles under their belt so that they can sort of then keep working and support themselves. Um, anything that will help an actor continue to do their work is a fan and, and be paid for it is a fantastic thing. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, working with publishers, that, that you primarily work with publishers. That's sort of the, uh, the golden goose that all new narrators are looking for. What is the best way to make that happen, to contact publishers or get on their rosters? Well, um, I think I I uh, I think that the um, opportunities of FaceTime, you know, the speed dating, the you know, as much as you can sort of get your 
get 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 that person to know who you are. It's one of the things I find that's missing for me in these relationships is that it really is an electronic relationship. I was working with someone for a long time, back and forth, back and forth. And um, I, in my mind, thought that I was dealing with this woman for all like years. And then it turned out it was this guy that was <laughs> way younger than I thought he was. And, you know, we just never laid eyes on each other. And so I think that personal dynamic, that FaceTime is important. Um, I I don't cast audiobooks, so I don't know how many sort of newsletters and reach outs these people get, um, the casting directors get. It must be a little bit overwhelming. Um, so, you know, I think whatever you can do, first of all, the, to me, and this is, this is really the avenue that I take with coaching, um, to me, the most important thing is that your your work is solid and that you know that your work is solid and you know what you're doing before you ever start trying to create those relationships you've got samples and demos and and a solid grounding in process and in what you're doing i think people get ahead of themselves sometimes um but once you've got that and once you feel like yes i have a piece of this i've got books under my belt then I think it's about finding as many ways as possible to create a, a personal dynamic with a person in that in that building, you know, whoever it is. Um, and I don't think it's an easy thing, um, but I, it certainly is possible, right? We see people make that leap all of the time. I think the the uh, relationships is really important. <clears throat> I actually have started doing some casting. And uh, in fact, I just hired Sean for a book. Sean Pratt. It's coming out. Oh, uh, I went to retail Keep yesterday. Keep him busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know you like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's. It's coming out in the next two weeks. Went to retail today, and just like you said, people do reach out to to me all the time, and especially following up on auditions. If they've had an audition for for a piece, they'll reply and, and ask me like, "What could I do? What could I have done better? Why didn't you pick me? Is there anything that you can offer as a tip for next time?" And most of the time, I just don't have the time to respond. But if it's somebody I've met, either at APAC or uh, Sean's pre, pre-APAC cocktail party or something like that, I will absolutely talk to them. Um, this just happened last week, a, a narrator who we did not pick. But I know very well, because she's been at the last couple of Uncle Roy's barbecues, uh, followed up. And, and I had a personal conversation, because that's someone I know personally, and it's all about the relationships. Yeah, I think when you can put a face to it and you can put a, a, a dynamic, you know that that person has a three-year-old at home or this mm-hmm. guy used to be a professional, you know, shot putter or whatever, <laughs> you know, you've got a, a personal thing. And I think because the industry is, um, I don't want to say glutted because I don't even have a sense of how many narrators the audiobook industry can hold. I, I just don't. Um, but... I do think that it must be very overwhelming um, to sort of have that constant, uh, constant information from narrators. And if, and if you can't hang on to something about them, then they probably just get put in, into, the, into the pile of narrators that it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about people asking for advice from you at, when you're in the role of casting director, Paul? 
for me, I think it's just a waste of time and not because I don't value people wanting to improve themselves, but I don't have time. When I get 120 auditions, I don't have time yeah. to respond to 50 people or even really 10. I might respond yeah. to two or three, again, if I know them personally, but I don't have the time to go through that many and respond to individual questions. My job is to get it cast as quickly as possible with a quality narrator, and that usually happens in the first couple of days. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And I mean, the, the other thing is that it doesn't strike me that it is, that is, a, it is a casting director's role to teach you what you're supposed to do. And often, I, I say this to my students all the time, you have no idea why you weren't cast. It might have nothing to do with your <clears throat> actual audition. It's just the sound, you know, it's just a, it's a personal sound. And so what personal sound does that author want? Does the cat is the casting director trying to find for that author's piece? And, you know, it really doesn't have any it, it, it if you if you need to improve your work, and we all do all the time, um, but if you sort of know that you're not quite there yet, that's a different thing than why wasn't I cast? Because there's no way to know. You know, it's just too nuanced, I think. Um, and once you release yourself of that, that you didn't get cast because you weren't good enough, um, I think that that just sort of allow, <clears throat> excuse me, allows you to open up, relax a little bit, understand that that's not really that's not really what's going on. When you don't get a part, it's not always because you didn't perform well. It's often because you just weren't exactly what they were looking for. And when mm. you learn not to take that's that the personally, fear, isn't it? <laughs> it's very freeing. What? I said, that's the fear, isn't it? I wasn't good enough. But but yeah. I agree completely. And it's just, that's not the casting director's role. And if you want feedback, that's what coaches are for, which I believe is a service that you offer. So uh, how <laughs> nice exactly segue. did you get into that? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was <laughs> stayed up all night. <laughs> nice segue. But anyway. There, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so well, I, I felt like we were skirting the issue because... Anyway. <laughs> Or, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have been uh, teaching acting and directing for the last 20 years. Uh, and I love teaching. Um, and, uh, you know, so for years, I mean, uh, Sean, who I was married to, has been coaching for a long time, building his coaching empire, his ginger Yoda empire. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he knows what kind of a teacher I am and what kind of a director I am. And he's been encouraging me to do this forever. And because I was so involved with the balancing act of doing theater and narrating audiobooks and raising a family, um, it just wasn't a piece that I could put into place, and I just sort of didn't pursue it. And last year, um, I started to think about it a little more, and I thought, well, you know, why not give it a try? And it is one of the best moves that I've made in my career and artistically, because I love working with people. I love... I love directing and I and I love facilitating another person's success and I love talking about acting. So figuring out sort of how to talk about how to marry narration and and bring the acting into it um, and talk about it in that way 
is is infinitely interesting to me. And each person that I work with, you know, I, I want to create a, a dialogue, a, a dialogue that helps them. So it's very specific and very nuanced and very personalized. So I have loved it. And I've been really fortunate. Um, I just sort of basically hung out my shingle and now I have a waiting list. Um, wow. So, well, you know, it's, it's been, it, it's been intensely rewarding, um, in, in every way. And I really think it's making me a better narrator because I, what I'm, when I'm listening to the people that I have the privilege of working with, and trying to figure out a way to facilitate, you know, their sort of um, getting them maybe to be more relaxed, uh, maybe to be more on voice, um, uh, finding a way to access character, helping them to, with the process towards character. I realized very early on, like a student in, that I wasn't walking that walk. I was sort of treating hmm. audiobook narration as a day job and then giving all of my juice to the theater. And I was getting bored in the, in the studio. I was bored with myself, frankly. So having this conversation, this ongoing conversation about how to create, to be honest as a narrator and to create you know, a, a, a deeper experience of the book, I started to put myself through the same paces that I was putting my narrators through that I get to work with. And my work, I think, is better, but it's also just infinitely more interesting to me. Um, so, yeah, it's really been a win-win all the way around. I am so happy. And I told Sean just the other day, I said, I, I really don't understand why it took me so long to, <laughs> to get here because it, it's a very good fit. Um, and as I said, you know, I really I like people. And so this this profession can get a little isolating for me. So it's quite wonderful to take a couple of hours out of every day and go talk with somebody and be present with another human being as opposed to just with myself in my little middle little room, you know. Well, if you ever sat down and Absolutely. watched some of the sessions where Sean was with some of the wackos like Sean Daly and myself, you probably were scared away from coaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to say I have listened to many, 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 many hours of Sean coaching audiobooks. So. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. um, Just learn through yeah, osmosis. Uh, but... <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's it, we share a few students. I send him students and he sends me students and it works out very well because I <clears throat> we were having, you know, in the development of his curriculum, while he was developing it, we were having all of these conversations. So I know it very well. And he knows what I'm going to bring to the table. So we've had a, that's been a, that's been a really uh, quite wonderful thing is that uh, sort of, once we get permission from a student to say, hey, you're working with John, um, is it okay if we, if we discuss what you're working on? Um, they've got, I've got a, a package deal and coaches there and I'm coming at it from a really, a totally different direction than he is and vice versa. So, um, yeah, that's worked out. That's worked out very well. I think he's pretty happy that I've started coaching and, um, I've been very happy to watch his, uh, growth in, in sort of, um, 
simple things, not simple, that took time, but branding and uh, just getting very, very established. That's been fun for me to watch. Um, so, yeah, I tend to be a little, a little less uh, splashy, <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's really been just so rewarding to, uh, to have an, and then, then when you're, the people that you're working with, when they have a breakthrough, when they start to really get a piece of it, um, there's just nothing better than that. I was working with a student today who, you know, we've had maybe six sessions and she sent me a sample of something she's been working on. And it was sort of like, you know, night and day from, and with just a few adjustments, just a few things to work on, different ways in, different ways to relax and have a relationship with your audience of one, usually with audiobooks. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, been, that's been really quite wonderful. Well, that's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that it's been so rewarding and reinvigorating for you and your career. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's so talking it about your students, that's great. Pardon me? So talking about your students a little bit, you mentioned some of the victories that, um, that you get to witness every now and then. But what about some of the defeats? Like, what are some of the, the hiccups or obstacles that students tend to, to have when they first come to you? Yeah, I would say that everybody, and this includes me, and I'm sure uh, you guys, right? I'm sure because we all have it. It's that really active inner critic. It's that I'm doing it right or I'm doing it wrong. Same thing with auditions, right? When you're reaching out and saying, what did I do? Can I, how can I be better? There's an implicit uh, sort of imposter syndrome in there. Um, mm -hmm. And so quieting that uh, inner critic, which is a very difficult thing to do in audiobook narration because we are have to, there are so many things that we need to monitor while we are recording, right? We're, we're, we have to observe ourselves. So how can we observe ourselves with some generosity? Um, I'll give you a, a, a great example, it's, but it's a, a consistent example. Um, simple though. So um, when I make, I make a lot of mistakes I, I, when I'm narrating. And punch and roll is my best friend. Mm -hmm. But I don't try not to make mistakes. That's why. And when I make a mistake, it is making, a, unless it's maybe I have to do four takes of the same darn medical term or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, it is so natural. It's like, oh, I made a mistake, da, 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 punch, roll, drop in, start. And in there, there is no uh, time in which I'm going, <laughs> you know, and angry with myself about it. I've really just gotten to the point where mistakes are so deeply part of the process that I'm not activating that inner critic and telling myself what an idiot I am. Um, so I had a, a student that was, that was what was happening. Every time he made a mistake, he would get so angry with himself. And so if you think about that, that takes you so far away from the work that you're doing. You're angry with yourself. You're stepping out of the book completely. Then you have to have this big effort to drop back in and be there. Um, so, yeah, I would say that 
inner critic, that thing that is constantly badgering at you. You know, if I spoke to myself, if I spoke to any other human being in the universe the way that I speak to myself sometimes, well, I simply wouldn't do it, right? It just is not part of what I would do. Um, so, yeah, quieting that, crises of confidence. Mm. Um, I think one of the things also that happens with coaching is that you have to remember all of the great stuff, and hopefully your coach will affirm, all of the great stuff that you are already doing, already bringing to the table. And working on something doesn't mean that you have to reinvent the wheel, right? You don't have to, you know, you have to hang on to the stuff that you understand and think you're doing well and know that coaching is just about building that process and, and, and yeah, getting better. But I even think about it not as getting better, but getting deeper, right? Getting more honest, getting more into the, into the process. Um, and once you're that concentrated, and once you're offering that much of yourself up in an audiobook narration, um, there isn't a whole lot of room for, oh, well, who let you in the door and why are you here and you'll never make it as a narrator, right? You've got too many other things to do. So that's one of the ways to quiet that voice. And I would say, yeah, it's just about a constant crisis of confidence, which is frankly part of every actor's experience. You know, we all go through that. It's, a, it's an extremely vulnerable thing that we do as actor narrators, right? You're putting yourself out there. Um, so yeah, those are the hiccups. Um, the, and, and as we were talking about before, the auditions that you didn't get, the bad reviews, right? The, the negative reviews making you think, oh, that one review that just sticks in your craw and makes you feel horrible about yourself um, can sort of, I mean, we've all had it happen. I had a, a, a review, uh, I, I had to look at reviews because I was building a new website and I wasn't building it. Andrea Ems was building it because I, I could never do it. <laughs> but I was having to gather material. So I never read my reviews. And I was gathering material and I had to read the reviews. And one of the, it was a customer review on Audible. And one review of this book said, Marguerite Gavin has a brown sugar voice that I could listen to all day long. The very next review was Marguerite Gavin's voice is like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think I walked around with for the next four days? Not brown sugar voice, that's for darn sure. It was nails on a chalkboard. And it got into my consciousness like an earworm, you know, it was like in me and I just, and I thought, I've got, you know, more than 500 books. I've got, I've been working full time as a narrator for 20 years. And yet this is making me feel uncentered and like I'm terrible. So how is it making my newer narrators feel when they get a nasty review? Um, you know, so figuring out ways to helping narrators um, to really be able to go, I know what I'm doing. I have a process. I'm coaching. I'm working to get better, right? And instead of their me their measure of their ability as a narrator always being external uh, validation to start to get their own sort of compass about that, 
of what's work that is strong and how they might make it better. Um, but I think that's very common. I, I There isn't a narrator that I've worked with yet, and I think I've worked with at least, I think I, I hit 35, and I've only been coaching for a year, um, 35 people, all of whom that inner critic needed to be quieted a little bit, you know, or a lot, just needed to be quieted so that they could do their work. You know, it stands in the way of your mm -hmm. work when that chatter is going on in your head about how terrible you are. We talked about that a lot, too. We had a, a whole episode almost on imposter syndrome uh, and voiceover in general oh. and how that really can can bring you down. I think the key is this perseverance. Mm -hmm. And once you've once you've stuck around for long enough, even if you don't think you've done a good job because that critic is too strong, when you look back at your accomplishments and you see you've done several dozen books maybe or you have a few books with several four or five star reviews, it really helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 also figuring out a way to, to measure your own success that doesn't have anything to do with starred reviews. That you know that what you gave on that book was that you did everything that you possibly could, and you that and also that you really can't please everybody. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm certain that people listen to my voice and they don't want to listen to me because I remind them of their ex-wife or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's not something I can control. Sean told me that. Not at all. Um, <laughs> so all I can do is my very best work and offer. For, uh, offer myself up in as honest and as concentrated and prepared way as possible doing my job. Um, but that does not mean that, uh, that, that I'm everybody's cup of tea. And I, th I think also once you release yourself from that, it makes this job a little easier. Um, on other podcasts, I've talked a lot about sort of the isolation of, of audiobook narration and that it can really, um, that when you have that noise in your head of a lousy review or you didn't get the part or you're not getting the auditions, you haven't gotten the last eight auditions or whatever, being alone and not having any release for that can, uh, and, and it's an isolating, you know, you're in your own space, um, sort of like, you know, writers have to, you know, they have to be alone and in their own space to write. It can be isolating. So um, I think that can sort of um, create an environment where you really feel, um, where those voices that are negative, the, that those rejections get very loud. There's no release for them. Um, and it, it it's important to remember that you know, those are just, that's just one review. That's just one author that didn't want your voice. That's not the measure of your ability or your, or your potential, really, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, that's sort of the biggest thing that I encounter is, uh, or all of the other things that are, that, that my students so far have encountered. I didn't get this part or I tried to create this relationship or I've been trying to contact this publisher with no response forever and ever. Um, all of it does actually boil back down to that idea of I'm not good enough. So what do you do to say, okay, I've, I, I am good enough. And that does have to do, I think, with training um, 
I, I actually, one of the things that, that really gets under my skin is when people think that they can do this job with no training. Hmm. I find it insulting, first of all, you know, um, a little but bit, that they yeah. can, <laughs> that it's an easy job. They can jump right in. They don't need any coaching. And um, I felt this way long before I ever started coaching. It was sort of like, wow, you know, you really, you really have to learn it. You would never go off and become a, you know, a, a radiologist without going to school for it, right? Um, you would never learn to be a carpenter without sitting at somebody's knee to learn how to be a carpenter. Um, so that is one of the things that I sort of get irritable about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good to know for people out there that it does happen to everybody. And thank you for sharing your story. I think I shared on the podcast before that I've had, uh, there's this book out there that overall has four and a half stars. And one of the reviews said, quote, Paul Stefano killed the book for me, unquote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you murdered I had an acting teacher one time, and I'm sure it was just horrible. It was dreadful, Paul. I had an acting teacher one time say, she was, we were, um, she said, okay, well, when you're on stage, think about it this way. A third of the people in the audience are really not going to like you for whatever reason. They, you just, you're just not their deal. They just can't relate. A third of the people are going to be indifferent. You just don't quite affect them, but they don't have any real opinion about it. And a third are going to love you. Well, when you start to look at it that way, you go, oh, I can't please everybody. All I can do is my work. And if, you know, if you're getting repeat reviews or feedback that, for instance, you're too whispery on the mic or you're not natural or, you know, whatever, if that keeps repeating, that's something to pay attention to. But something that vague like Paul Stefano ruined the book for me, <laughs> that's personal. It's just personal. It's one person. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do in your performance to change that or make it better, right? No, absolutely not. So, Shannon, one other thing we're going to talk about is the use of pseudonyms. Sean actually introduced you by your pseudonym. So I was wondering, <laughs> when's the best time to use one? And is there a time when maybe you should stop using one or sort of, you know, out yourself, so to speak? Yeah. You know, I really feel uh, my Marguerite Gavin is my grandmother's name. And uh, when I started recording audiobooks, most everybody was using student pseudonyms for various reasons. Um, I feel like I'm stuck with it now. So I coach as Shannon Parks. That's who I am. Um, but Marguerite Gavin does have a bit of a fan base, and I'm not certain that uh, starting to record as Shannon Parks is going to be that useful. Um, so I do feel a little stuck with it, and it's confusing, you know? It's, it, 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 they're, they're, even with social media, it's confusing, you know, sort of being, uh, being on groups and things as Shannon Parks and knowing that nobody knows who the heck Shannon Parks is because Shannon Parks isn't really an audiobook narrator. Um, so uh, I have a pseudonym for racy stuff as well um, that I will not announce on the air. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and I don't do that much romance, um, but there is stuff that I just absolutely can't do under my grandmother's name. She'd roll over in her grave. <laughs> uh, so... Um, 
I think it, it, it for me at first, uh, the pseudonym was a matter of privacy. Um, it is an intimate thing, uh, being in someone's ear, talking at them, and I wanted just a little privacy. I'd had a couple of experiences um, that made me want to sort of keep keep myself uh, a, a little a little separate and a little private. Um, now I I don't think that's necessary, um, and I you know I really do wish that I had early on switched to Shannon Parks. I think it would be just make my life a little less complicated, a little easier, and people would go, yeah, I, we know who that person is, right? It's not confusing in any way. Um, but I do think that if you're doing romance, if you're doing anything that uh, you don't want your you know, next door neighbor to search and know about, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with narrating under a pseudonym, you know? Um, it's just, uh, yeah, again, and especially now, it's a matter of privacy that you, you don't want it all to be synced up. Now, I know that at some point, somebody outed me, so my romance name and Marguerite Gavin and Shannon Parks all got synced up on the internet. Oh. So if you dug just a little, you would find it. Um, but I don't have the hubris or the ego to think that anybody's going to do that deep of a search on me. And if they do... Well, well they will now with our dozens yeah, of listeners. Right. <laughs> I don't have anything to be... But I also, I don't really... I don't have anything to be ashamed of. It's just a matter of not wanting to um, have the, you know, racy or, or not even racy romances, but um, I do a lot of thrillers that, that tend to be just, you know, just kind of... Um, intense and so sometimes they'll go under that pseudonym if there's a lot of if there's a lot of violence and a lot of sex and drugs and rock and roll then yeah they're going to go under that pseudonym um but uh i don't have any illusions that it's not easy to figure out the other one right um and again i i'm now i'm careful i i, I narrated a book that i didn't have any work things were tight and slim and scary as they get for all of us and so I took this book that was in absolute political opposition for me. And um, it was just painful to record. And it also, I just felt like ethically, I was so upset with myself for taking it. So um, that's the last time I did that. I really learned a lesson on it. Um, but, you know, there is, otherwise, there's really nothing out there that I, I would be ashamed about, except for that one book, I have to say. And I can't say it because it would set off a firestorm of comments, but we don't need that. No, definitely not. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that being stuck with it. I'm sort of in that situation now. I started doing a pseudonym, and I don't really know why. I really don't care the content's out there, and because I'm a terrible secret keeper, I'll tell pretty much anyone that wants to know. Um, so there's really no right. point in having it. <laughs> but now he's much more popular than I am, and I sort of have to keep up the marketing and branding on it. <laughs> Right. Well, that, that's exactly right. The branding, uh, you know, when I, I, I just realized that there's take, starting to narrate as Shannon Parks, nobody's going to search for books that Shannon Parks has recorded, right? They're mm -hmm. only going to search for Marguerite Gavin if they're interested. So um, there's too big a body of work out there for me to switch it. Um, 
you know, but I think I think with, there are a lot of people with pseudonyms out there, and I think in the industry everybody's kind of used to that, and you know they just sort of organize it that your producers and your casting directors, and the, you know we just start to go, oh okay, they record as, but um, it does become a little bit of a marketing issue. Um, I know that a lot of people, uh, when I started coaching really, you know, they, they couldn't search for audiobooks that Shannon Parks had done, right? And so they were sort of like, well, what kind of experience did oh. she have? So I send everybody to any, you know, if, if people that are interested and might be interested in coaching with me, they go to Marguerite Gavin's website. Because I really don't think that anybody that, I, I, I just think that if you're going to coach with somebody that is a regular, um, consistent audiobook narrator, you need to like their work, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I always, when people approach me about uh, coaching, I say, okay, well, go and go and listen to some samples, so you can so you can decide if you feel like you can learn anything, uh, you know, or or stylistically if there's simpatico. So, um, yeah, but I agree, Paul. It gets a little. It, it's it's just a little crunchy. It's just a little kind of a pain yeah agree. brings whole new meaning to the idea of you're only competing with yourself <laughs> <laughs> i love that i love that I, I do know there was something on a thread uh recently on facebook about um somebody a, a, a female narrator she was trying to come up with a third pseudonym so she did straight stuff and then she did romance and she was getting some um, Christian audio religious work. Um, and she really felt like she had to invent another pseudonym for huh. that. For that, And I, I didn't weigh in because I just thought, oh, that's going to get complicated, you know. Um, but it's it, 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 it kind of I just feel like that's it, it's really a matter of if you feel it's material that you don't want to do under your own name for whatever reason maybe it's that you don't want your teenagers to search it or you know anything um or you don't want the the people at the fundraiser paul that you're going to for your elementary school no they already know (laughs) right (laughs) because you probably you've been through all of sean's seminars so you're working on marketing yourself exactly telling everybody about it Um, shameless (laughs) self-promotion shameless self-promotion exactly well speaking of shameless shameless self-promotion feels like like self-torture and strenuous exercise for me it's really not natural at all to my personality um so i have to work on that well we're going to ask you one more time because unfortunately we've come to the end of our time but before you go or before we go where can people find you if they do want to coach with you Oh, um, you can just go to marguerite.gavin.com, and it's uh, spelled with a U, so M-A-R-G-U-E-R-I-T-E, Gavin, G-A-V-I-N.com. And um, that's kind of the catch-all website, so there's a coaching page on there, and you can contact me through that and email me. And uh, if you have any... Um, any um, Things tune up if you need a tune up, or you really are a brand new person. I've been lucky enough to work with narrators of all experience levels, and that's been really exciting too. So, um, and and what I am doing is I'm I'm really an acting coach. Uh, that's what that's that we're working on performance. 
I'm not really the person that's going to teach you how to market or brand yourself. I'm the person that's going to teach you how to be a better, be a better narrator, be a do, be an actor. Right. Well, that's great. So, Shannon, th- thanks so much for being, or Marguerite, I should say. Thanks so much for being on the show. We really should have done this long ago, and I apologize for not having you on oh, sooner, no, but we were I'm delighted so to have excited. you today. Yeah, no, it's really yeah, an thank- honor. It's a pleasure to talk to both you guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure getting to meet you digitally. Yes. <laughs> and we'll see you at APAC? face-to-face, because I think that's the goal for all of us, right? You'll say you'll be at APAC, right? Hopefully sometime. Yes. Yeah, I will. I'll be at Apex. All right. Well, I will definitely see you then. I'm still trying to twist Sean's arm to go, but hopefully he'll be there as well. Oh, Sean, eventually. Have to come. So, okay. Absolutely. Well, now I have and to. I thanks for throwing me under the bus, Paul. I think I'll be at Sean Pratt's cocktail party. So um, we can hopefully, if you're there, we can. We'll definitely. Yeah, I plan to be. Other. All right. It's a date. We'll see All you right. then. Thanks, you guys. Have a really good night. Thank you so much for the the evening of talking with you. It's really been a pleasure. How many times does this happen to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister. Well, missy. You just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight-from-the-hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one exactly. Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com. Because you like to have fun. And we're back. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on our podcast. I learned so much about the audiobook industry, considerations for both performance and looking for people to train with within the industry. And I love the old discussion on pseudonyms because a lot of people think automatically assume it's for protective erotica. reasons what's that erotica or romance yeah exactly erotica or like trying to basically hide yourself from work that you don't want people to find out that you do and sometimes as you saw with shannon it could be completely innocuous yeah and then sometimes like when we talked about with with shannon in my case it's a matter of marketing now that i've established his name i kind of have to just go with it and it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll just make sure that i publicize both names as much as possible so thanks to Shannon. She really is a giant in the audiobook industry that, in my opinion, doesn't get enough credit. So hopefully we can help fix that. That pretty much wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voice over progress. Next episode, we have Baltimore talent jack-of-all-trades Rex Anderson, and he's a recent Sovos winner, so we get to talk about how that has impacted his career. And then after that, what do we got going on, Paul? Uh, we're working on a, efforting to get a few more people scheduled but most importantly, we'll be at VO Atlanta. So this, this will probably air right before VO Atlanta. So Sean and I will both be there. If you're there, come say hi. Don't shake hands. Don't Just shake <laughs> hands. Maybe an elbow bump or something. Yeah. Just don't take out my temple. But we always love to talk to our fans. Still amazed we have some, but it happens every time I we know, go to an right? event. <laughs> but honestly, we appreciate every one of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. 
We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show. Or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at the VO Meter. <laughs>